Welcome to the Kingdom Convos podcast. This is your host, Diane Wong, and I believe that the best story to share is your story. Featuring church and industry leaders, practitioners, and other guest speakers, our goal is to make conversation on God's kingdom through storytelling. I pray that these conversations would ripple out into your local communities, organizations, and beyond. Welcome back to the Kingdom Convos podcast. We are on season three, which is all about racism, diversity, and what the church has to do with it. And today I have my friend Jess with me, and we actually met in college. She was a huge part of me just learning how to embrace my culture, learning how to um, love my people better, and just really love myself better in the whole process of that. And anyone who knows Jess knows that she loves and is so passionate about racial reconciliation. It's what she's called to, it's what she's passionate about. And today we have the honor of hearing from her on how to build bridges and have hard conversations around racism, around, and you know, like you can take what we say in this episode and apply it to anything really. But without further ado, um, Jess, would you go ahead and tell us what sparked your passion for racial reconciliation? Sure thing. Um, first, thank you for having me, Diane. I'm really excited and really honored to be here and um, just really am here to share my heart and what I've learned over the past couple of years and come at this with like the most humble heart of I'm still learning and I really am committed to a lifelong journey of learning um, when it comes to race, race in America, racism. Um, systemic change, social change. And so, yeah, what sparked my passion for racial reconciliation or racial rec for short, um, I would have to give a lot of credit to the people in my life and those people being um, Elijah Todd and Erin Yennies, who are two dear friends of mine. Um, I met them when I was in college. I was a freshman going into my sophomore year and they really um, just opened the door for me and gave me the warmest welcome into this new conversation that I felt like I hadn't had um, in a long time. And that was of my racial identity formation. And I didn't know I needed to have. And so they were just quick to call out the Latina in me. And of course, being Latina and being brown, I knew I am brown. I'm, I know I'm Latina, but they kind of put more into words what um, I was experiencing as far as um, just either racism in itself, microaggressions, assimilation, um, all of that. And so I would definitely say my friends had a lot to do with sparking that passion for me because as soon as I entered into this um, racial identity formation within myself, I began to notice um, people in my life who I wanted to bring along into that journey and say, hey, like you have something in you that is beautiful and that I see and that I want to know more about. Um, And so it was them kind of continuously having lunch with me at a table, talking with me. And so the more that we met with one another, the more I felt like I met with myself. And 
that was really beautiful to be reintroduced to myself in a really formative time in my life, which was my college years. I mean, I was transitioning from being a teenager into a young adult. And so having those conversations um, really helped shape that and spark that passion in me. Um, and I would say that those conversations that I had with them led to more of my action steps when it came to racial reconciliation. So if it weren't for those conversations, I wouldn't have joined a student-led club on my university's campus. And then later on forming that student-led club to an actual organization to, you know, just becoming um, a residence assistant and just really working towards racial reconciliation on my university's campus, well, my alma mater now. That's awesome, Jess. I really do love your heart. And just like you mentioned how you had friends coming around you to have those conversations with you. I love that you were one of those friends for me. And now we get to sit down and talk about this on a more public platform. But taking a step back a little bit, some people might not know what racial reconciliation necessarily is. Could you just explain kind of the why behind racial reconciliation and just what it really is? Um, yeah, I mean, I will try my best to describe what it means for me um, and how I've experienced it um, embodied for myself. And so when I use the term racial reconciliation, um, I kind of am taken back to this moment where I was introduced to a ministry at the church I'm attending and where I've been mentored, but also just a friendship with um, John Williams, who has this ministry called the Center for Racial Reconciliation. And um, the goal for the center just being um, a safe space where people can come together and wrestle with the nuances of um race in america and so it's to me racial reconciliation is equality it's equity it's justice um in all of its forms and that's just like the simplest um extra terms that i can add on to it um i don't say i have like this formal definition for it but um, if you look it up, you should be able to find some formal definitions for it. But for me, racial reconciliation means seeking justice for my neighbor and my siblings. And for you, Jess, as a believer, why is that important to you? It's important to me because that is the heart of the gospel. Um, justice is at the heart of the gospel. Um, being reconciled to one, one another is depicted, demonstrated, embodied through what Jesus did on the cross for us. Um, so there's this picture that people use often to describe reconciliation. So there will be a vertical reconciliation that we experience with our Heavenly Father, so us with God. Um, and then a horizontal reconciliation that we experience with our siblings in Christ. And so that is a depiction of the cross. And so it's important to me because justice is living out the gospel. It's living out that sacrificial living lifestyle that Jesus did 
um, here on earth. And so that's why it's important to me because Jesus was a reconciler. And so as a follower, I want to be like Jesus and reconcile with others. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So when you go on social media, you see a lot of the church posting about how these hard conversations um, can bring about a lot of racial reconciliation, right? So why is it important to be having these types of hard conversations and what is the real impact of that? I think it's important because justice, um, I'm going to keep going back to justice a lot in this conversation, um, but there are a lot of injustices that we see in our world today, um, specifically here in the U.S. This is where I live, and um, there are a lot of needs that are yet to be met um, in the Black community, in the Brown community, in the community of people of color. And so because of justice, I think it's important that we are having and continuing these conversations. And something that comes to mind is what I hear all the time from a local activist here in Pasadena. His name is Andre Henry. And he has like merchandise and like his whole like idea is in pursuing justice is that it doesn't have to be this way. So when I look at the world and I see what's going on in my neighbor's life, immediately I think it doesn't have to be this way. I can imagine a world where we can experience equality, where we can experience equity, where we can experience justice. So I think those are some reasons why it's important to have conversations about um, whether it be racism, race, justice, is because it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to experience police brutality. We don't have to experience violence. We don't have to experience deportation. We don't have to experience um, systemic policies that hurt other people, that marginalize them, that oppress them, that oppress women. And so I think that these conversations that we're having um, are important, but they don't need to stop there. I think the conversations are like a necessary first step. And so my hope is that when the church is talking about these are hard conversations, but they're good conversations, that it wouldn't just stay there and that it would propel them to move forward um, into action. And so that's when I think about what are the impacts of having hard conversations is that it leads to action. And depending on what type of conversation you're having too. So let's say in the conversation that you're having, you can ask yourself, is this conversation of substance and is this, it's sustainable? Is this conversation um, deep, deepening my understanding about the root of racism? Is it having me reckon with my biases, my prejudice, my racism? Is it having me rumble with these things? And so I think the impact of this, the impact of this is that it brings out action that can hopefully be sustainable and substantial. And so um, that's what I'm thinking about 
is allowing our conversations to bring forth that lasting change um, that helps us create, um, relate to one another and work towards a society that is equitable, a world that is equitable, um, because words, conversations can only bring some sort of temporary um, healing or peace for us and action and change, transformation, um, systemic transformation brings true healing and true peace and true justice. Yeah, that's really good. Now, when people hear that hard conversations can lead to justice, there may be some disconnect for some people and um, they may need a little bit of, they might need more illustration to really truly understand that. So in your personal experience, how have these hard conversations built bridges for reconciliation? Mm -hmm. um, in my personal experience, these conversations have built bridges, just as I referenced before, um, the conversations that I, were, I was having at the lunch table with my friends spurred me on to have the courage to stand up for myself in spaces where I felt like I didn't belong, in spaces where I felt misunderstood, I, I felt unheard, um, dehumanized. And so I think that a tangible example of that is how I was sharing. It led to me saying enough is enough and I want to live free and I want people to live free and be themselves and love themselves holistically. And so it it leads to tangible next steps or tangible justice in the way that we decide to give something up, pick up courage in the way that we decide to create and work and live our lives, our daily decisions, right? It starts in those small commitments and leads to larger commitments of, for example, like, hey, what kind of job am I thinking about post-grad? What am I gonna pick? What kind of work field in that work field? How am I going to bring up justice? How am I gonna bring that in? And so um, you can utilize those things in your training, in your discussions, your like PD, your professional development time, um, so I think, yeah, in my personal experience, the hard conversations that I had at that table, but also in the classroom of saying, um, this isn't right, or this is uncomfortable, and that's racist, um, it leads to different actions as far as curriculum change, book changes in the classroom. And the way that I know that that is true is because I had a professor tell me at the end of my college career, um, 
she told me, thank you for not making it easy on her. <laughs> and I thought that was like, it could have been a backhanded compliment of like, oh, thanks for not making it easy, Jess. But I constantly challenged her. I constantly brought up ways in which we could do things differently, approach things from a different perspective. And so those are some ways. I hope that answered the question. I think I'm kind of trying to think of different experiences. Yeah. So for me, reconciliation is actively fighting against racism, right? Mm -hmm. For me and my personal experience, even with you, sometimes you go into these conversations with um, preconceived notions of certain types of people and even having these hard conversations with people who don't look like you, who have a different background than you. I think that in itself already is a form of reconciling um, different people. But yeah, I think on social media, I've been seeing terms like anti-racism, um, just term, terms coming up. And to me, that is ra racial reconciliation, because if you are truly an anti-racist, you would fight for racial reconciliation, right? Um, so yeah, I see hard conversations um, as building a bridge for reconciliation because when you take the time of day to like sit down with someone who doesn't look like you, someone who doesn't have the same history as you and truly listen, I think that is honestly like one of the most impactful things that you can do. And of course we have our own lanes in racial reconciliation, but having these hard conversations are so great for um, allowing space to, for healing um, just, among your own circles in your own community. So yeah, that's really great, Jess. Um, digging a little bit deeper into more practical things on how maybe we can equip people to enter into these hard conversations. What are some ways people can just begin to having, having these hard conversations in their own circles? Maybe some questions that are um, good to ask. Um, I think one, or some ways that people can begin to have these hard conversations, um, like you said, is listening. I love that. I love active listening, um, not to be confused with just being silent the entire time. I think listening is retaining what someone is telling you and having a response back to that. So let's never mistake listening just as silence. And so listening to people, as well as letting people be, specifically letting people of color be. So when we're having these hard conversations, right? Um, an example could be a person of color talking to a white person and they are having this conversation. Um, what I've experienced as a person of color, as a Latina is I will say things and sometimes um, I experience anger in the moment. Uh, my emotions are on my sleeve the entire time. And I will have people trying to police me and trying to um, whitewash my pain or rebuke my pain and my experience. And so I think that's another step is listening, but let people be, let people have the space to experience anger, frustration, um, pain and that suffering that 
say carry as a person of color, as a black person, as a brown person. And so I think those things, but also trusting that talking works. Um, I say that and, and I hear it all the time from different podcasts I listen to is talking works. We have to trust that communication, open communication um, will take us further. It, it can be a difference maker. And so for those of us who are having a hard time having hard conversations, trust that talking works, trust that you can have a conversation. And even though you experience that lump in your throat, you feel that butterfly in your stomach, or you feel your heart racing, those are indicators that of uncomfortability. And we should lean into that. We should totally lean into that. And practical things that we can start asking or start our conversations by are help me understand or will you help me understand why you believe that why you think what you think where did you learn that from can I share my perspective and I think that in these moments we hopefully are asking these questions while we are decentering white feelings and white comfort. And so when I say that, um, I mean whiteness as an idea, as in um, not people. So, right, I'm not just talking about white people in general, but I'm saying whiteness as a whole, as a construct, um, and what it's been in America so power that we're not making that power dynamic comfortable. And we're not just making sure that the, the, the power has the power over the conversation and we're letting the system take its place all over again, take its course all over again. And so when we ask these questions, I hope that we're going in with, we're gonna decenter that power dynamic right now. We're going to disrupt the system and we're gonna make sure that we're all uncomfortable, that we all feel some type of way in our body right now whether it be the lump in our throat the butterflies in our stomach or the shakiness in our hands um may we all feel that uncomfortability and so um again going back to that hopefully that you understand that that doesn't mean to be perfect purposefully hurtful to other people or um to white people <laughs> uh, we're not here to um be hurtful but um be constructive, effective in our communication. And so um, making sure that we are asking questions that are centered around um, the needs of black and brown folks, um, people of color in general. Um, and so those are some questions that came to mind. And even the simplest one um, that you should be asking right now, um, people who are listening is, are you registered to vote? That's a perfect way to start a hard conversation. And I hope that people are asking that question. Yeah, that's really great. Things like, how have you experienced racism? What has that been like for you? Can you tell me more? Just simple questions like that can really start a really long and in-depth conversation. And honestly, these conversations take a lot of um, intention behind it, right? 
you don't just hang out with a friend and then start talking about racism. It just won't happen if you don't actually put in the effort to do so. So what I would say from my perspective is that when you go into, say, like a hangout or a lunch date with a friend, like you just have to be intentional about um, having these conversations and keeping it at the forefront of your mind. Um, and like Jess was saying, it's, it's a hard conversation, right? It's hard for a reason. It's uncomfortable. But um, from my experience, I can tell you it's 100% worth it. Every hard conversation that I've walked into, I've walked out of with more knowledge, with more humility. And I really encourage any listeners who are afraid to have these hard conversations to do it. It's a part of maturity too. So do it. <laughs> that's all I really have to say. But Another thing that's really important about building bridges through hard conversations is the follow-up. So Jess, how can people follow up with initial conversations to continue building the bridge? Um, I think one way is by creating sustainable goals with others, um, sustainable long-term goals, short-term, long-term, create them. Um, and practically that can look like saying or communi communicating with other people, this is how I'm going to get involved. Now, I hope that, yeah, when I say that, do it with the people that you can confide in, do it with that person that can keep you accountable. Um, I would say I have some, uh, just feelings about posting it on social media being like this is how I'm getting involved and kind of just bringing the spotlight back on yourself I think that's not necessary <laughs> um I think that as long as you have that person that knows like this is your sustainable goal and you're pursuing that and you have accountability in private you don't need to publicly announce it to your feed um so this is how I'm going to get involved um, different ways of follow-up is I'm reading this book or will you read this book with me um, or even I know this person who can connect you to this nonprofit organization I know this person who um, can get you involved with protests I know this person you, just connecting others to one another. So that's a sustainable way is building those connections, referring people to friends, confidants that you know are in the pursuit of justice as well. Um, and a different ways, simple ways, short-term ways, sending people podcasts, send someone this podcast, <laughs> this, this season's podcast, send it to them, send them articles, link them to someone who can do that for them. If it can't be you, connect them to someone who could do that for them, you know, um, because it is tiring. It is exhausting being that resource to people. Um, sadly, that's what has kind of led to what this whole tragedy of season this has been for us in the U.S. right now is black and brown people have become resources for others and that's it and not just humans trying to survive. And so um, if we can't 
do that personal lifting for other people because we shouldn't. We shouldn't be doing the heavy lifting for them. Link them to a friend that has the energy to do that at that moment. So just create some sustainable short-term or long-term goals. Yeah, for sure. An action plan is so important. And there is a quote that says something in essence of if you don't plan, you fail. And if racial reconciliation is truly a priority in your life and you really do want to fully participate in um, racial reconciliation in your own community, then you got to plan. <laughs> it's not just going to happen by itself. But um, yeah, I feel like we've definitely offered some really great, great questions and um, the reason why behind these hard conversations um, what do you feel like are some appropriate and helpful responses in hard conversations? Because I feel like a lot of people can do the whole active listening thing, but sometimes they get stumped and don't really know what to say after that. So um, what is your advice for that? This is hard um, to answer because I find myself wrestling with every single day my answer changes to that question um as a brown woman some days i do need to hear i hear you i see you i'm here for you um simple things like that other days i need to hear the i donated i went out and protest um and other days i just don't need to hear anything at all as far as conversations go. So I think in, in the moment when you are having a hard conversation with someone and they have just opened up to you, have been the most vulnerable, courageous person that they could be to share their experience with you. Um, yes, have that active listening and just be there communicate that you are in the, you are there in that moment to hold space for them in whatever way that they may need um whether that be with silence whether that be with a verbal repentance of i repent of the ways that i have contributed to this problem or just Again, letting them be angry, letting them be sad, letting them unfold before you, hold that space. Um, so I think those are some appropriate ways into to respond is to just hold space. And I think typically these hard conversations are happening with people in your circle or your trusted or loved ones. Um, and so I don't know how to respond when it comes to having a hard conversation with a stranger, um, besides the same thing that stranger also is deserving of understanding is deserving of space, um, while they reckon with this difficult conversation. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, when they're in these hard conversations, they are so quick to... Um, speak and give advice or try to offer solutions 
But I feel like for the most part, a lot of people don't need that. They just need you to hear them and they need to know that you're in their corner. So some great questions to ask in response to people is, um, what do you need from me right now? Like Jess said before, or how can I help? Um, just because those questions aren't imposing anything, but it's letting the person know that you're in their corner, you're fighting for them and you want to help. And honestly, I feel like that means a lot to people. So wrapping up this conversation, if someone is listening to this podcast and maybe they're nervous about initiating those hard conversations, how would you encourage them in that, Jess? I have two encouragements or just something real from my heart. And the first is for my people of color, for the black community who are listening is I just wish you rest and rest that doesn't encourage you to continue to give of yourself when there's nothing left to give um, when it comes to conversations. There are people who are committed to misunderstanding you and your story, um, your experience. And so I wish you rest. And when you're working towards justice, allowing those boundaries, that boundary to guide you to choose yourself over and over again. Um, and so if you're nervous about initiating a conversation, if you are black, if you are a person of color, that's okay. It's normal and give yourself the time and the space you need before you enter that space. Um, protect yourself, love yourself. Um, and then the next would be for my white friends who are listening. I encourage you, um, and this is a quote, that my friend John Williams shared with me um, is to not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. So when I think about conversations, you're not obligated to solve racism in one conversation. You are not obligated to uh, have your aunt or uncle understand their white privilege in one conversation. Um, there is no obligation to fix it, but you are also not free to abandon that. So I would say do not abandon hard conversations. I encourage you if you're nervous, know that it is normal. It's daunting to have these conversations, but we are not free from abandoning that work. We are not free from abandoning the work of justice. And so um, do not just, just trust that talking works again. Trust that talking works, trust that in this conversation, you're gonna have to give up of yourself. And so um, get ready for that. <laughs> get ready to give up your pride, to give up your knowledge, to give up what you've been taught um, growing up, to give up power. 
um, time and resources and to decenter yourself. And so that's my encouragement. It may not be uh, polished and it may not be shiny and it may not be what you wanted to hear, but this is a time to get nervous and to allow yourself to feel all those things and still talk anyways, still have that conversation anyways to do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. Yeah, I really love that, Jess. And is that not exactly what the whole Christian walk is? To humbly lay yourself down and put your pride aside and to listen and to learn and to um, allow that transformation in your heart, right? So yeah, I really love that. And I I'm so grateful that you were able to come on for this episode. I really feel like you've imparted a lot of really practical knowledge. So thank you for being here. And that was how to build bridges through hard conversations with Jess Lopez. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Kingdom Convos. If you liked our conversation, don't forget to subscribe for similar episodes. You can connect with me by following my social media and you can find that in the details. Remember that your story is the best story to tell and use every opportunity today to share yours. Thanks for listening.